Welcome to Color Me Happy Podcast. My name is Brandy Hofer, your host. Thank you so much for being here. I sure do appreciate your time. I'm really excited this week because we have Carolyn King, who is one of the most beautiful, kind people I've ever come across online, actually. Um, we met uh, through a mutual art group, and um, she was kind enough to come on and share her story with us, which is a really... Uh, beautiful journey and it just it just encompasses um, you know where you're meant to be in your life is just like where you're meant to be and there's so many factors that get you there but they were all for a reason and when you embrace and and accept those those journeys it's just so many beautiful things can happen and she aims to share her gift with as many people as possible while also uh, dedicating time to her daughter Annie and it's just it's just such a beautiful empowering journey and you're going to enjoy it so much um things we have coming up uh we are relaunching in June um which is not very many days away <laughs> um we are relaunching the sketchbook project so it's so exciting. Uh, we're running it from June to end of August. So it's a really cool thing that you can do um, and take on as a practice, like super low key and chill. Like there's no pressure. There's like, you don't have to do it every day um, you know, because I actually suck at sticking to things. <laughs> and I don't, the only way I've stuck to uh, keeping a sketchbook was um, last year when we did the sketchbook project. And honestly, what I did in that sketchbook uh, fed into my practice throughout the whole year. Um, I guess you all are holding me accountable for <laughs> doing the sketchbook. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Like the patterns I did and the experiments that I took on in the sketchbook, uh, honestly, I've muraled them. Speaking of, uh, hold on, I'll I'll tell one story at a time, which I struggle with. <laughs> I always jump to the next topic, but um, it's a really useful tool for your practice, especially for um, learning and playing. And and we really thrive when we're playing and and learning. And um, when you think you're wasting your time because it's not like a final piece of artwork or it's something you're going to use later, it's actually the opposite. Uh, you do use these things later because uh it's like you're just so free in these moments of like no pressure of like this isn't something you can sell it's something you'll always have for you it's just like in life when you're like oh in order to get things done i have to go 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 all the time but in reality when you rest and you take time to um you know meditate or i love to hang in my hammock and look at the trees or go for a long walk and um, those are the times that free your mind up for the great ideas and the things, the magical things in life and actually um, release uh, positive endorphins and energy, um, which help you keep going. So resting actually is a very positive thing, uh, playing and working in your sketchbook, another very positive thing. Um, in life, even if you're not an artist, like it's a really great way to write and express yourself and um, take on new experiments that you didn't know that you would love. Uh, I think the everyday individual would benefit from a sketchbook. So we're relaunching that because it's so, so wonderful. We're also um, 
like featuring some of the artists and and making some work like experimenting uh with what like they how they work so i'm really excited um francis berry is coming on the podcast so i can't wait to i've been um doing work that like for fun that looks kind of like hers because she has i have her art um that i just ordered and she's so cool um and i'm hanging it in my bathroom uh that i just renovated and which is a long story but um we're going to do some cues um in there too uh focused on because steal like an artist austin cleon says it best that's how you learn that's how you have fun that's and and honestly you'll never make someone something like someone else it's almost impossible you'll always be you and uh, don't be afraid to steal like an artist. Um, I love his books, by the way. Um, speaking of bathrooms and murals, so the pattern that I worked in in my sketchbook that I kept doing on holiday, so a sketchbook you can even take on holiday, which is super fun. In fact, that's when it was like really took off is when I was on holiday and I made like really beautiful work too at the same time, work that I've never made like before. Um, because I was resting, because I was playing with the kids and my niece was into the sketchbook project and it was like the coolest thing ever. And so I kept drawing this pattern because I was by the sea and it was like this shell-like repetitive pattern. And um, I ended up muraling it into my downstairs bathroom, which I totally DIY'd, renovated. Um, well, I tried to DIY and then my husband stopped me partway through. Plumber is here currently as we speak fixing the stuff. Um, I tried, but I'll stick to muraling uh, and uh, throwing up paintings and decor on the wall. Our free to print looks amazing. I actually like framed really cool objects from our home, not just artwork, but like things like my um, father-in-law bought me these really hilarious knitted mitts one year for Christmas. And oh my gosh, I'm so late for a podcast. Okay. He, okay. Um, all right. Uh, anyways, I framed the mitten because he passed away and it's the funniest, most hilarious thing ever. And we are doing a really affordable DIY mural course, which you can check out um, how to DIY your own spaces and murals and like make a really cool space in your own home. I can't wait to release it. I should be releasing it um, hopefully by next week early. So stay tuned for that and enjoy this wonderful conversation. Happens over time for everyone as things evolve. Like even now I'm like, oh, this isn't working. So then I have to learn this new other thing. And it's actually quite annoying. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that because, you know, I think of people of my generation as, you know, we're so Neanderthal when it comes to this shit that it's like, it just takes a lot. And then when I hear somebody, you know, from your generation say, yeah, but it takes a lot for everybody. It's, it, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And at the rate that it's evolving, it's like, yeah. okay, so now Instagram's not working as well. And I have to get better SEO on YouTube. And I didn't even know what SEO was last year. Like, oh, right. Well, but actually, I don't know about you, but I have deep, deep respect and gratitude for, oops, something just happened on my screen. Go away, whatever you are. For, for COVID, because, oops, what is that? Go away. Ah. Um, uh, because I feel like, you know, as you say, the thing about COVID is we had the kind of forced opportunity to um, 
just slow down and be with that stuff. I mean, I'm nowhere near as terrified as I was before COVID of all that stuff. You know? Me too. Me too. I mean, like I would, I would never it. put my face in front front of a camera and talk to people. Oh my God. And look at you now, girl. <laughs> like I, like it still terrifies me, but there's like something. And it was after reading a lot of Jen Sincero's books and the, and the biggest takeaway that I, that I, took away the biggest takeaway I took away was because I always mess up like that like I can't put sentences together properly and so that like stopped me from doing anything anything on I would just paint by myself in my studio which was yeah. good but it wasn't yeah. like what I it I wasn't running to my fullest potential and so uh she said you are uh like a vessel and a conduit of information and and if you're not delivering it who is going to and ultimately it came down to um doing things uh standing up for other people and setting up for what i believe in and helping others and then it just became less about me uh and i never thought so hard about being afraid and and I've made these beautiful friendships and I'm able to help people through artwork. And I think that's a more rewarding journey than, and I haven't actually, Carolyn, put this in words really in the last few years and why, why I quit just being a studio artist, I guess. And I've kind of been sitting on it because the transition has been happening. So it's like, it's a hard adjustment going from, I'm just showing up to paint and then I'm going to share what I paint. But like communicating with others, having meetings, showing up for kids, which and 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 uh, and whoever you're working with, and showing up for your community, like that looks very different than just showing up for oh, your yeah. family. And being in your studio, oh yeah, no, yeah, you know, I guess it's a great starting place because for me, you know, I was raised with a grandma who basically her mantra that she drummed into all of our ears for all the years she lived in her body was be other minded. And wow. you know, she was just like, it's okay to have what you love, but you got to think about how what you love is related to everybody else. And I feel like, well, you know, that was a gift and a curse. I mean, the curse of it is, is I feel like I still to this day struggle to be okay with just spending time in my studio because I'm so focused on everybody else, you know. I see that with you. You're very kind and generous with your time. And I think you should. I think you you need that. You need you you do have to practice that self-care and that self-love and that time for your and that is in the gift of time for yourself first. I'm just I'm writing down be other minded care. <laughs> Yes. And <laughs> it's so important that I write that down. Grandma Hester. <laughs> Grandma what? Grandma Hester. Her name was Hester. Hester. Oh, I have this thing right. now. You know how in, in Native communities, they always introduce themselves by speaking the names of their ancestors. And I am way into it now. I'm like, we need to keep the names of the people that we love who are no longer with us yes. in their mouths and in other people's ears. So yes, you're right. Yeah. The stories. You know, you don't want the stories to end with their life, like and their legacy. Um, and I feel like our mothers and our grandmothers and our great grandmothers, they live these extraordinarily extraordinary lives, and they and and we're we're they're in us. We're, right. we're there. I mean, it's interesting because I have to tell you, Brandy, the older I get, the more I 
experience that. It's like, oh, yes, I'm my own self, but I am so, you know, a piece of my grandmother's, both of my grandmother's visions and lives and my mother's vision and life. And it's like, it's, it actually is comforting. I mean, you know, my mommy's been gone, not as long as yours, but she's been gone for now. We're coming around to eight years now. And um, I had a contentious and not super wonderful relationship with her for a long, long time. So to be now in this place of understanding that I am so who I am so much because of the influence of the women that came before me. Very humbling. And also it feels nurturing. It's like, oh, thank God. I'm not just doing this by myself. We're <laughs> hovering around all the time. They speak through me on a daily basis. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's start from the beginning of your story. I can't wait to hear it because you always reply to emails and messages and in our Color Me Happy community, like I said, you're so, you're, uh, you give a lot of time and effort to others and it's, it's nice. I do feel like you should take more time for yourself because you're so giving and you're so lovely. Um, but I do enjoy your messages. Thank you. And, um, and insights and, and insights to other community members and in the art Queens, you also uplift so many people and in your community. But I want to talk about that more at the end. I want to talk about the beginning because you've sent me very interesting little snippets of your life and I want to hear all about it. So I want to give you the space. Okay. So uh, all about it, meaning start from the beginning. Let's like start from the beginning. Yeah, your journey as well, first of all, the last email you sent me as a woman um, and what that means and and how you've and then how you've come into motherhood and 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 your creative journey throughout. I know that's a big giant question. I was about, to say, about five hours now. Yeah, exactly. I will try to synthesize. Um, well, let's see. So I was born to a woman who was extremely frustrated creatively. And I, I mentioned that because I feel like it's a very important piece of who I am and why I ended up doing what I'm doing. I didn't get it at the time, of course, but so my mother was a very gifted painter. She went to the Chicago Art Institute school as a teenager on scholarships. She was that. Wow. She was really gifted, Brandy. And so, um, but the problem was, you know, basically she was a depression baby, which means that, you know, her parents' point of view was you got to make money. And so this is true for many people today too, but her stepfather, who basically raised her from the age of about three, when it was time for her to go to college, I mean, it was so natural for her to go to the Chicago Art Institute because she'd already been there for years as a teen. And he put his foot down and said, no, 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 you'll mm. never be, you know, a proper spousal unit in that environment because brandy those were the days of right so beatniks were you know the the later or the early version of hippies than the you know earlier even than that version of punk and you know i mean the art institute was filled with beat poets with wearing black clothes and eating yogurt you know it was <laughs> that's all that was like the 50s or the late 40s so anyway the point is is that i was raised in an environment that was profoundly deeply rich in visual, visual imagery because it was the way my mother nurtured herself. And the reason why I say frustrated was, you know, she went to Northwestern University and, and you know, was an English major or something that wasn't fulfilling. And actually she told me that when she went into the art department there, the art people looked at her portfolio and said, we got nothing to teach you. 
you already know everything we know. Now, of course, that was nonsense because they could have helped her find her own voice and her own why was she making art, but that's not the way they were doing it in those days, right? Mm. Anyway, the point is, is that, you know, in our family room, there was a bookcase that had no books. It was floor to ceiling arts and crafts from all over the world. And I know now that the bottom line is the energy of makers, I mean, I didn't know this as a kid, but the energy of makers is encoded in those objects. So I feel like my life was filled with the energy of people who made things from all around the world. China, India, Guatemala, Mexico, you name it, you know, and a lot of that stuff was indigenous. My mother was super attracted to, you know, uh, masks from Africa and, and indigenous uh, handwork from all over the world, molas and, you know, God's eyes and, you know, we bead work and stuff. So I was exposed to that stuff, you know, from the time I was like five years old, right? So anyway, um, interestingly, she did not encourage any of me or my three other siblings to do any artwork. So, you know, I was the usual little girl. I did paper dolls with my older sister. My older sister was gifted like my mom. I wasn't the gifted one. And so I I didn't, you know, I, I see interviews with a lot of people who say, I always knew I was an artist. Clueless girl, I had no idea. I definitely did not identify myself that way at all. And what I wanna say is that it was as if my mother jealously guarded the portal to creativity. She did not encourage us. She did not give us art supplies, but she steeped us in, you know, coffee table art books and, you know, incredible paintings. I mean, we were just raised in this deeply rich visual environment, which I didn't realize everybody wasn't raised that way until I got a little bit older and started going to other people's houses. Um, yeah other people didn't have don't have art books no don't have art books don't have tapestries don't have you know every nook and cranny is filled with some little artsy giga i mean i didn't know that most people didn't have that right so anyway um i didn't really start you know investigating my own art path until i left my mother's home so um, I left home at 17. And actually, this is an important piece of my story is the massive amounts of travel that I did for about a decade between 17 and 27. Um, so um, I went to Belgium as an exchange oh, wow. student. I mean, young, I was young. I was a, you know. But I think that's an important, can we talk about how important that is? Oh. It's so important. And I was actually, it's so funny you brought it up. I was thinking about, how integral traveling alone is and and how I was so grateful I did it when I was young yes. because you figure out who you are in that time. Well, I mean, Brandy, if I had to say so in terms of planetary, you know, rules and regulations, I feel like every single person between the ages of 16 and 25 should travel. There should be a way. I mean, this is like super pie in the sky, but I, I could not agree with you more. I mean, the thing about being out on my own that young. Now, I went and I lived with the family for about nine months, but it was absolutely turning point. I mean, first of all, if you just look at what's happening neurologically for us when, when we are that young, we still have such profound neuroplasticity. And so there's the physiological piece of learning, learning, learning. And then there's also the spiritual piece of we're coming into who we're meant to be in this mm. life. And, you know, there's nothing like being out on your own and, you know, needing to dig deep to see what you have and also recognize what you don't have 
and be able to learn how to ask for what you need. I mean, it, I mean that lesson learned early is there's nothing like it. Because independence. I, I mean, especially here in in Western cultures, I feel like you know I don't know if Canada is this much this way as much as the United States, but you know the United States seems founded on the key word of independence in a way that means most Americans are like, I have to do this by myself. And it's like, but that's not what independence means. I mean, no matter from my perspective. That is not what I meant with by independence at all. Independence is like, you know, you're, you're strong in yourself and, and, and you have to be scared and put in those situations in different countries with different cultures. And, and you can understand humanity and compassion and adventure and, it takes a lot to to dive into that fear. It well, really does. The other piece to this for me is the issue of um, language learning. Because, you know, again, well, a lot of people in Canada, of course, learn French because Quebec and everything. Here in Gringolandia, I mean, most people do not, you know, learn another I'm language. In, I'm in Western Canada. So, like, you we do have French in school and there are French schools here. But I, and there are French communities, but like, yeah, I, you don't when have, I was in France, I could, un, I could get by understanding, but there is no way I felt comfortable. And when I did speak it, they were like, Mm-mm, that is not, <laughs> I don't, uh-uh. if you don't no. write there, like, like we can just switch to English, you yes. dummy, <laughs> you dummy. And they were kind of mean. So Right, which is very off-putting. Well, actually, now I've got to digress a little bit and talk about language acquisition because this is another huge piece to my story. So I started learning French when I was seven. Oh, wow. Yeah, my dad is this kind of super culturally oriented person, loves travel, loves, 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 loves. So when I was seven, so I was in second grade learning to read, you know, first or second grade, he put little stickers of all the words for all the objects in our home in French with tape. So, you know, le chaise, um, you know, le maison, I mean, blah, blah, blah. So the thing is, he noticed that I was kind of going for it. I mean, and to be quite honest with you, I got to admit that my motivation was I was a daddy's girl. I loved my daddy. I wanted to make my daddy happy. So I went for it. And so what they did was when he noticed that I was really into it, and, you know, when you're little, you have an okay ear. It's much easier when you're young to learn languages, right? So anyway, they sent me to French language day camp many summers. Uh, the counselors only spoke French. They spoke no English. I was immersed in French in grammar school, in elementary school. And then um, by the time I got to middle school, you know, they were teaching us French, but they didn't know what to do with me because I already spoke really well. And so they stuck me in a little language lab with earphones just listening. Anyway, the the bottom line is by the time I got to high school, the French teacher, when they interviewed me, they were like, well, you're almost bilingual in terms of speaking, but you've got no grasp of of, um, grammar. You know nothing. So we're going to make you start over again. So they put me in Italian and I started from the beginning. But of course, Italian and French are so similar. Anyway, the Italian teacher, you know, was really fabulous and he got me to take his Latin class. Anyway, the point of the matter is by the time I got to Belgium, where they speak French, uh, I already had a great deal of French and Italian under the belt, but did they put me with a French speaking family in Belgium? Well, hell no. They put me with a Flemish speaking family. So, <laughs> so at 17, you know, in that kind of 
amazing open space that you're at when you're that age anyway, in a foreign country with people who are not speaking your language, I basically, you know, learned, I took everything that I'd learned about learning languages and I learned how to teach myself a language I'd never heard before. I mean, Randy Flemish, oh my gosh. you might as well be in China. I mean, it was like, I never, I got off the plane and I was like, hmm, yeah, no. I mean, anyway, so I'll never forget the day they put me in a high school. Um, they put me senior. That is so scary though, too. Well, but it was worse. Listen, they put me in a class. It was senior year of high school. Everybody spoke Flemish. They were teaching them German. Oh. Yeah, I'm just like, you know, fuck. <laughs> what am I doing here? So, what what do I even do? I personally would have given up. I'd been like, well, I'll just make some friends and hang out. I don't know. my Well, so it's interesting because, you know, when I look back, I think, wow, this was part of the thing about you were just saying about what travel does. I mean, so some little part of me, part of me is like, how could, how could I think of this? I went to the head nun. I was in a girls Catholic school. Um, that was basically, you know, kindergarten through um, high school. I went to this nun who did not speak English, but she spoke French. So in French, I said to her, can I please go down to first grade where the little girls are learning to read? Because it'll be easier for me to learn Flemish with little girls who are learning to read than to be with girls my age. I mean, frankly, I look back and I'm like, it was freaking brilliant. I don't even know where it came from. So that's what happened. I went. She did it? Yes. And the thing wow. that was cool about it was is that, number one, of course, as you know, having little people, little kids aren't judgmental and they're not mean and they're not self-conscious. They were thrilled to have big me down there. They led me around by the hand and they <laughs> pointed to things and they explained. And it was like, it was adorable. So what happened, Brandy, was every couple of weeks I'd move up a grade. So in six months, I spoke competent Flemish. And, you know, I mean. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And the thing and the reason that I mentioned that is that in terms of creativity, I feel like, you know, as the neurologists have now demonstrated, we have as many neurons in our guts and our hearts as we have in our heads. And the reason why that's important for us as moms and as artists is if we can give credence and space and um, recognition to the fact that we have gut intelligence and heart intelligence, you know, screw cerebral intelligence. We don't have to live there. We don't have to only live there. I mean, we need all three of those things, right? It makes me laugh. Yeah. Well, our brain's always out to protect us. Right, right. But yes, exactly. Right? Well, anyway, like, so let's stay safe here. Well, and interesting that you say that right? because while I was there in Belgium was when I took my very first art class. And you're going to love this because they gave, they let me take an art class after school. They I don't know even how I communicated to somebody that I wanted to do that, but I guess somebody asked me, "What do you want to do?" And um, by the way, this town I lived in was a village. Nobody spoke English. Nobody spoke French. It was like a little teeny village in the northwest corner, kind of close to um, Germany and close to Holland. So it was it was really you know. And frankly, the other exchange student that lived near me did give up. She went home. The girl went home. She it was, is it is hard. What you're you you thrived in a situation where many would fail. I remember arriving in France for my residency, and there was no one to pick me up, and I was just in this vacant town because, of course, in France, no one does anything at five o'clock. They're like napping. <laughs> so this town is closed down. Uh, no, Jean Sersin. I don't know. Anyways, 
You it's closed down. It? I get there on the train with all my art supplies and my luggage. And, and I'm like, meet you? No, they didn't meet. And and the the residency was uh, five kilometers away. Oh, my so God. I, yeah. So and <laughs> so I just like I walked around. The phone was broken because it was before like, sure. well, my cell phone wasn't working there well, I, yeah, you, yeah. I was going to get a sim card and i right. just arrived so i get on this train and like i was proud of myself for getting from paris to to this other place to be fair on the trains because that was confusing and scary well, too that in itself was a major accomplishment by yourself when you're whatever 20 yeah. and so i get there and i just walk around this vacant town and i'm like so scared because you're like fuck Right. Well, yeah, yeah. You, you're like I don't know and I ended up hearing voices in this like shop and I like knocked on the shop and I didn't speak French so I was in a pickle and I'm like pointing to my paper and this guy who like I don't know he could be taking me somewhere <laughs> totally like he could be a murderer and so he ended up seeing Camac on the thing and he's like oh I know where that is and I was like and that was yeah. your residency so he took you there Yes. And then I was fine once I got to the residency and it happened to all the residences. Like some people walked, some people like with like, do you know where you're going? Not really. Uh, Feed back to these people. It's like, that's not the way yeah. to go. Uh, Viviana Gokul from Spain, who is a filmmaker. She's like this tiny little woman and she's so soft-spoken, ended up staying overnight with these really old people. <laughs> In, in their the house by the train station oh, like God. and then she's like i have to go back and thank them so i went back and and thanked them with her one day and we had lunch and all they kept saying was big tall german girl and they kept helping they were old tiny french people and they were like help us lift this furniture out of this garage into the so I'm like, I'm so in France, I'm a big person. Are you like five nine? How big are no, you? No, I'm five eight, but like I'm not big. Like, it's not that big. Like, give me a break. Really big to old, old French people. Like, especially little old French people. Yeah. So I was there moving, like, I was there like moving furniture all day. I know I was an Amazon woman for a day at least. Anyways, go back to your story. It is, it is funny. Like it is scary. I'm not gonna lie. Those situations are scary to a young person um and and but you thrive like you you discover you discover things about yourself that's what exactly. i'm trying to say yeah. and so the thing is so um the art piece of this i mean let me put it this way the reason why i wanted to talk about the language piece is that you know visual art as we know is a language and so part of me feels like if there would be some way that we as a society as societies could understand that um reaching back well reaching back teaching our kids multiple languages and i don't mean french german but i mean visual art is a language i mean i'm kind of fighting about that on a regular basis it's one of my <laughs> one of my you know um uh soapboxes is about the importance of visual language so anyway so i was learning Fr flemish and actually i don't think of myself as particularly driven or competitive but i guess i am because by the end of that stay in belgium you know one of the things that was really cool about that stay was i went i went to say thank you and give my farewell presentation to the rotary club that had sponsored me to come and the rotary club was in a little city a nearby city and they all those guys they were you know 
um, they're businessmen. So they spoke French and they, a lot of them spoke English. And they expected me to do my little, you know, wrap up of my year there in English. And I did it in Flemish. You should have seen your face. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was one of those deals where I wish I had a little camera in my forehead. I mean, you know, this was decades before cell phones or anything else. But anyway, it was, um, I didn't do it because I wanted that moment. But when that moment happened, I was like, oh, it's a big oh, moment, yeah. you know. But anyway, so the thing is, I took my first um, art class in Europe, um, there in Belgium. And the thing is, is that it was a very traditional um, European style um, education where you draw from plaster casts. So, but you know, the guy didn't, I mean, he, everybody was intimidated by the fact that I was an American. And so he hardly talked to me. And, you know, so at the end of the class, he turns my paper around and he, I hadn't understood that you were supposed to make your pastel or charcoal drawing look like the thing. I was just springboarding off it. So my <laughs> drawing looked like something from another planet. And it was, you know, it was a cool drawing, but it had very little to do with gas. And But the reason that I share that is that the look on the guy's face and what he said to me um, actually was a turning point moment in my very first experience as a person wanting or wanting to study art because he basically, he loved what I did. He basically said something like, it would never have occurred to anybody in this room to do that. And I oh, just, wow. I, it, 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 it kind of gave me permission. It was one of those things to realize, oh, you can actually do whatever you want in this, even though the structure of traditional European art education is incredibly step-by-step. -step. Well, I, he basically blew that away from me and kind of said, no, you, so anyway, so after that, I ended up going back to the United States and there's a lot of, well, I'm backtrack. One of the other incredibly important things about that trip was I went with the Belgian schoolgirls and the nuns, you know, just the older girls. We went for spring break. We went to, um, to Rome. So we did spring break in Rome and I got to see, you know, some of the world's most amazing art. I mean, it was, you know, I was in this wide open space anyway at 17, going through all these changes. And my experience of seeing, you know, the Pieta and the David and, you know, all these beautiful sculptures and stuff was um, to feel compelled to respond. I feel like that trip put me firmly on the path that really and truly my mother had already opened to me. It's just, she just wasn't very welcoming. You know, I kind of, so anyway, I went back to the United States and um, another very, key turning point thing happened. I had applied to a school in the United States, but I couldn't go till January. So I got home in like August and I had to wait six months till I could go to college. So one of the things that I did while I was at home, and by then I was 18 or whatever, was um, I shadowed my mom. My mom, as I say, was an art fiend. I mean, the woman was an art fiend. It's just that she didn't make art. So she was this super volunteer person who facilitated, you know, like art uh, exhibits in the public schools and she worked at art fairs and, you know, she was like a volunteer maniac. And, you know, I remember saying to her at one point, mom, we're out of the house now, paint. What, you know, what are you doing? Why don't you? And, you know, her answer was something about how she was so um, driven and competitive that if she wasn't the best, she didn't want to do it. And I remember thinking, oh my God, that's like really sad. But anyway, mm. I remember very turning point moment. She was in the little art gallery that they had founded in the middle school that I had gone to as a kid. They had turned some room into a gallery and they had moms as docents for local contemporary artists would loan their artwork. And I just remember watching my mom and how she was she was a very unhappy lady most of the time, but she was so lit up 
when she was sharing about this artwork to these kids that I, I, you know, now I know that that was one of the reasons I ended up becoming a teaching artist is that I wanted to honor that spark that I saw in her. It was the only place the woman seemed happy, you know, it was mm -hmm. like, okay. So anyway, so that's another little tidbit I want to share. But anyway, so I went to a small college in um, Southern California. I declared my major as a dual major of nutrition and psychology because I had been fasting and actually I was profoundly anorexic when I was in Europe. I mean, I just didn't eat, which was stupid because the food over there is really good. But anyway, but I opposite of what happened to me in Europe. <laughs> I know most people go to Europe and blah, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I didn't eat. I I, I mean I look back and I, I mean Brandy literally I weighed 87 pounds. Oh my gosh. Which was probably what I weighed in about fourth grade. But anyway, it's a wonder that I didn't get sick. I mean, I was, I was crazy. But anyway, the point is, I really noticed the relationship between how I felt and what I ate. So that's why I wanted to do that dual major. And eh, what do you know when you're 18, 19 years old, right? So anyway, but all I did at, at uh, college when I first went, the entire first year was basically dance and paint. I took dance classes and I took painting classes. So this particular school had this weird little thing where the month of January, the entire school, which was only about 350 people, would go off and do a project somewhere. So my dorm dad, basically, at, you know, giving me counsel about what to do for my project, he said, I think you would really love my alma mater. And he sent me to San Miguel de Allende central mexico where he had done a master's degree right he had done a master's degree in painting in this teeny little extraordinarily well respected and well-known art school in mexico actually it was probably one of the best art schools in all of latin america in its day so that was you know 50 60 years ago but the point is um that school had this weird arrangement with the United States that you could transfer credits they were actually connected to the state so that you could do stuff there so i went for one month to do a portrait class and I forget maybe a silkscreen class or something and Brandy I stayed for 25 years <laughs> I know that's a cute little winger yeah well mm. wow so I went to this little art school and the thing about this art school was that there were there were teachers from all over the world and there were students from all over the world, including a lot of Vietnam vets, because there was also an arrangement between. Is it school. still going? No, most unfortunately, oh. it's not. Um, I think it still exists, but it's a shell of what it was. The the incredible internationally recognized powerhouse that it was is no more. And oh. um, I know it's 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 a tragedy, and it's actually it's one of these classic stories from Mexico and probably all of Latin America, where the woman that owned it left the thing to her, you know, I don't know how to say this in English. The expression in Spanish is hijo de papi rico, which means sons of a rich man. These very well-to-do upscale uh, sons of hers were just doofbots and they didn't know anything about art and they knew nothing about administration and they were so ego bound and they were, they were raised in the lap of luxury because the school was so successful but they didn't have the wherewithal to realize that they needed to hire people to run it. So they basically did stupid things and wrecked it. That's what happened. Uh -huh. And it's a story that's happened all over the world in different kinds of businesses. But anyway, it's kind of a tragedy. But um, so the thing is, what happened for me in Mexico was two things. Number one, I don't know about art schools in Canada, but um, the better art schools in the United States are extremely, or at least were, I don't know how they are now because I haven't been there lately, but in back in the day, they were very competitive. 
people were nasty. I mean, critiques. Oh my gosh, I I I went to and I won't say their names, but yeah. some people know who are listening. My first school was a college, mm -hmm. and it was so encouraging and like amazing professors mm -hmm. and really good group of people that we I still talk to today. And then I went off really far away and they were so nasty and mean and competitive. So and I actually, it's still, it's still, it's still a bad taste in my mouth. It still breaks my heart today. Like the opposite of what happened when that one guy in, uh, told you that good, like, I can't believe you made that. No one else would make that when I made things that were, cause I always went against instructions because by my third year, I knew what I, I loved portraiture. I loved expressionism. And by my third year, I showed up and I remember he, he dumped a bucket of like McDonald's, old McDonald's toys. And he's like, we're going to paint these McDonald's toys. And I was like, fuck Ew. no. Yeah, no, that's not what I'm interested in. Frankly, no, I'm like, I was like divine feminine. Like I was just like, I had all this oh inside me right. and it was it was smashed down by my peers and uh and <laughs> honestly i sat there until the queen started i sat in that male dominated competitive right uh and it was awful and 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 i'm not saying the males were awful in school the females were as equally yeah, awful was, and competitive. Oh, oh yeah oh, yeah, yeah. And, and it hurt my heart and soul. And honestly, the art world still hurts my heart and soul. And maybe that's why I've stepped away from it. But I feel like I can do this in my own way. And I don't have to follow that, you know, whatever. Threat, that well, so the thing is. Trajectory. Yeah. The depth of gratitude. I mean, again, I feel like, you know, I've had a lot of trauma in my life, honey, a lot of trauma, but there have been a lot of blessings too. And one of the major blessings is this piece about having studied art in, first of all, Mexico is a culture that is dominated by a feminine archetype. The Virgin of Guadalupe is in everybody's hearts and everybody's homes and everybody's eyes. And they just, you know, the feminine pervades that culture. It's funny because a lot of people said to me when I first was down there in my 20s, ew, it's so macho down there. What are you doing down there? And I was like, oh, you don't understand. I mean, once I learned Spanish, which of course, you know, with my lingual thing, I mean, I learned Easy. Spanish too damn fast. But anyway, um, I, uh, I realized, oh, machismo is just a backlash reaction to the strength of the power and power of the feminine in that culture. Machismo is a joke. I mean, machismo, they're just little boys, man. It's meaningless. But anyway, so the thing is, um, anyway, on an archetypal level. So the point is, I was, you know, I mean, I went to art school in this small, incredibly nurturing, very community oriented. I mean, every, first of all, San Miguel de Allende is now this horrendously expensive foo-foo fucking tourist trap. But girl, we're talking 50 years ago. When I first went there, there were pigs and donkeys in the streets, man. I mean, it just <laughs> had no relationship to what it is now. And I mean, I got to come of age in that environment with the blessings of wow. that culture that is deeply steeped in indigenous lore and mystery. It's just, I mean, again, I, I mean, it kind of makes me weep. I'm like, Sometimes I look back and I go, how did this happen? And interestingly, you're going to die, this story. Um, the guy who sent me down there, 
years and years later, years later, see, like 14 years later, one day I got a phone call. My daughter, who was born to me there in that town, was about four years old. I got a call from a woman I didn't know who was uh, an architect. I didn't know her, but we, everybody knew everybody. It's a small town, but I didn't know her well. She called me and she said, hi. You know, I was like, hi. You know, she was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing. She goes, can you come over? I was like, really? What? Because I didn't know this woman, you know. She said, oh, I have somebody here that wants to see you. And I was like, okay, well, this is weird, but Mexico is very surreal that way. So I just went with it. So I left my daughter with the nanny at home and I, you know, took a cab or something, went up to this lady's fancy house and I walk in the door and there he is, the guy that sent me there. You know, years wow. and years later, he was back with a wife looking to buy property and build a home there. So I got to thank him and you say, you would never have known how you changed my life. Thank you. I mean, you know, again, I and on the spiritual level, I'm like, I don't know why those things happen, but I am profoundly grateful. And then it gets better. When we moved here to Tucson 20 years ago, so that was, you know, maybe eight years later after I bumped into him, or maybe five years later, I bumped into him again. He lives here where I live in Tucson. Well, it was like, I don't know what to tell you. I had no contact with the guy in between these meetings. So it was just, I don't know what to say. I bring that up because I feel like sometimes people come into our lives as conduits. And it's important to recognize that and, and honor it when it happens, because you never know, you know. And he didn't go on to continue to do art. I mean, he got a master's degree in painting, but he became a builder. He did something else very creative, you know. So anyway, where are where are we? So I'm in San Miguel. I'm in I'm in San Miguel doing my undergraduate work. I had a painting teacher who was a lech. He was so disgusting and so after my butt, and I was so freaked out by him that I stopped painting. And I went over to the printmaking department because the people were kind and not lechy. And so, you know, I would have painted all those years, but I was young enough and stupid enough not to know that all I had to do was go say to somebody, get this person away from me or go to a different teacher. But, you know, it's a small department and there weren't that many teachers. And the you know, was... for the time you were in, yeah. let's just be yeah. real with the time you're in. Yeah. Even I've been in those situations and it was like only a decade ago. Right, exactly. And and to find this, you know, the strength to say no or, yeah. you know, that that takes I, shit. Yeah. Now at 36, 37, right. I would. But but right, when I was 23 20, or 24, like, yeah. you know. Well, the thing is, I, I feel like, you know, even today, I mean, with the Me Too movement that's kind of spread all over the uh, all over the United States and all over the world, I feel like we're educating girls more and more that. We mm. have a right to stand up, but you're right, honey. I mean, 50 years ago, me stand up to the teacher and go, ooh, get away from a me. A man in a power position. Yeah, it right. wasn't going to happen. So I just went someplace else, you know, and I was very blessed because the, so I, basically I did printmaking. I did lithography on stones on a hundred year old press. and Which and is still very cool. Completely cool. And I Print, did for, Printmaking is fun. And I did it for like a decade. I'd spent like a decade deeply steeped in printmaking. Oh, that's a long time. It was a long time. And it's a wonder that I have my lungs because, you know, it was way before anybody was thinking about printmaking, you know, hazards in the arts. And, you know, we had our hands. Like etching? Yeah. You were breathing in the etching stuff? Ooh, oh, God. dear. Oh, my gosh. Well, but again, the beauty of being in central Mexico is that, you know, the studio wasn't outside, but almost. You know, right. Proper, Different. Know, yeah, different but anyway um when i was 24 for various reasons at, at that age i basically woke up one day and i went an undergraduate degree in art it's not going to mean a lot and from a winky little school in mexico that nobody knows 
anything about in the United States. What am I doing? So I applied to the Chicago Art Institute where my mom had been so recognized as a teen and I actually got in and I transferred my credits, the, as many as they would allow me, from this little school in Mexico up to the big, you know, fancy dancing. I mean, Chicago Art Institute, it's one of the world's renowned art schools. It was disgusting, Brandy. <laughs> was oh no. Disgusting. I was there for a year. Uh, in my second semester being there, I went to the Dean of Students and I said, I'm dropping out. I hate this so much. People are so nasty here. It was, it was exactly what you were just describing. The grad students wouldn't tell you anything. The teachers wouldn't tell you anything. I mean, it was bizarre, man. I mean, was, I know teachers competing with the students. It it's bizarre. I mean, there was, like, a, there was an Illinois. Why are you here? There was an Illinois printmaking competition and our teacher, you know, um, urged us all to enter. I entered and I got an honorable mention and he got nothing. And the man basically never spoke to me again because he entered too. And I was like, Yeesh. this is gross. So anyway, the the teacher, the, the dean of students, who, by the way, parenthetically was black, said to me, um, and there's a reason why I mentioned that. She says to me, um, you're not going to drop out. I'm going to fix this. So you go back to Mexico where your heart is and finish the degree independent study which was unheard of. Wow. I hadn't been in residency more than a year there at Chicago. She wasn't supposed to do that. Um, you know, so in other words, I did, you know, years in Mexico and then I came back to the States a little bit and then I did years in Mexico and then I came back to the States. So, you know, it's basically 50 years that I've been bouncing back and forth across the border. And, um, you know, the good news is that I finally have integrated enough that I don't feel the schizo that I was when I was younger. It was like, I felt like my heart lived in Mexico and my mind lived in Mexico. I want to go with you to Mexico to make art. Let's do it, girl, because that's my next life chapter. I'm kind of like, I'm finally unwinding myself from all my obligations in schools so that I can just bring groups of women to Mexico to make art. Sign me up. I'll teach portraits. There you go. Well, and seriously, I mean, I'm serious, Brandy. I've been looking into this for quite a while. And in 2019, just before the pandemic, I took my first little demo group. I took a little group of women that I knew to kind of work the kinks out and see how does it work. And what I, I learned a lot from that trip. So, and then of course we got shut down a goofy pandemic. But um, the point is, is that, you know, I have an incredible infrastructure of people still there in the town that I lived, including my sister, who came down to visit at 16 and later came down oh, and gosh. married somebody and has been there ever since, you know? So it, it, the point is, is that, yeah, I mean, I was thinking, yeah, we should advertise through the various um, communities that we're in. I, I'm sure there are art queens that would go. I'm sure there's people from Color Me Happy that would go. I mean, you know, yeah, because yeah. it's beautiful. Deal. It's beautiful, beautiful. So anyway, so that- It will happen. <laughs> yes, that can happen. That, that can definitely happen. Well, because the other piece of all of this, of course, is, let's see, I wanted to share with you that somewhere in the midst of all of that, you're going to love this piece. I lived in Dawson City in the Yukon in Canada. And that's where I started working with kids. So um, I was 26, probably at 26. And um, uh, a guy that I had met in San Miguel when I was finished with my undergrad degree, he was from Ottawa. And he, um, I guess I went up to visit my folks in Chicago and he called me and he said, this was so seductive. He called me and he goes, I have a friend who just bought uh, an etching press and it's being sent on a train from Toronto to Dawson City, but he doesn't know anything. How about you come out and help set up a print studio for him? And I was like, I mean, very sneaky, very sneaky, Brandy, because that was my, my whole life was printmaking at that particular moment. So I was like, yeah. So, and I remember all my friends going, you're going from Mexico to where? 
like I mean, and I was like this dramatic, dramatic. Even I haven't been up there, so well, yeah, I want to tell you, girl, it's 51 degrees below zero up there in the winter time. And you know, I've been in Mexico where it never gets colder than 51 degrees right. centigrade. And that's I, why I want to come down to Mexico, Mexico with you. Yeah. I'm not really interested in going up there. No, we got we got to go to Mexico in January or February when you guys need a break. From Please. But anyway, yeah. I went to the Canadian Yukon as a vegetarian, actually vegetarian, my ass, I was a macrobiotic. So I, I, I didn't eat anything that had, had a hoof or a, you know, I didn't eat any. And everybody was like, you're not going to be able to do that. You won't no. make it. And I laughed and said, oh, I'll just eat some extra peanut butter. So anyway, it was a, a kind of cold that was incomprehensible to me. I mean, I'm from Chicago, but it does not get that cold in Chicago. So anyway, so, but while I was up there in the Yukon, um, what happens in a place like Dawson City, I mean, it's a very touristy place in the summer and very lively and lots of art and lots of people and lots of very creative people. But in the winter, everybody leaves except the people who live there. And many of the people who live there are, are native. And so I noticed that there were kids with nothing to do. I mean, a lot of people spend the winter behind a bottle up there, Brandy. It's so awful. People just drink until it's over, you know. And um, I'm a non-drinker, so that was not my path. So I went to the little local library and I asked the librarian, I said, can I offer art classes for kids here in your space? And they were like, well, okay. And I don't even remember where I scrounged the stuff up, but I started my doing my art making with children there in the Canadian UK. Oh, wow. A long time ago. And that was a very magical experience because, of course, those kids had nothing. I mean, they had no, they had no exposure to this stuff at all. And we did some really fun things. I wish I had pictures, but, you know, it, it was like before cell phones, you know. So anyway, um, after that experience, of course, I ended up back in Mexico because, hey, <laughs> why not? You had to warm up after <laughs> that. So anyway, um, long, long stories. But I guess, I guess the main thing that I want to say is that, um, you know, I feel like um, art, creative process has been, you know, the most important language of my soul for, you know, my entire adult life. And I didn't know that until, of course, as I say, I left my mother's home. But being in a place like Mexico where artists are very revered and very treasured. I mean, I feel like here in Western world, it's so doggy dog, man. But, you know, you're an artist in Mexico. Everybody calls you maestro. Everybody calls you teacher. You're a teacher if you're an artist. I mean, it's so profound. I mean, even if you don't teach art, you're called teacher, maestro, because you've mastered something. It's the whole idea of mastery. And um, I feel like that comes from, again, from an indigenous place that in, in, in the indigenous people's lives that are in that area of Mexico where I was, they're called the Otomi. And it's like they acknowledge the mastery of the hand. If somebody's mastered something, you're called master, which is... It just, it's, a, it's a respect thing, you know? And so when I came up to the States and realized that people are clawing for recognition, it's like, oh, this is just so different, you know? So I'm totally like you, Brandy, in that I did not choose to enter the art world arena. I mean, I basically chose my path as teacher as my way to honor what I love about creative process. And, you know, where I am now with it is, is <laughs> I'm so old. I'm like, okay, my turn. I get to make art to share with people. Okay, my turn. I'm going to try to give myself a turn for the last few decades of my being, you know. Mm -hmm. so. And your work is incredible and it is powerful. Okay, and, and I mean, it, it it's a gift. It's a gift uh, that you get to communicate and share with the world. And there is so much value in that. And, and there can be purpose. 
and you can do both and you can do as your life is proof of of where art can take you it can literally take you anywhere and give you amazing experiments or experiences and shape who you are okay. and and i know we could talk for another hour on a completely different side of your life and keep going because you're working today with are you working with seniors right now actually so this is a funny story so um i'm working in an elementary school um i have a hundred kids that are mostly between the ages of three and seven and um that's now, amazing i know it's a lot of kids and um uh, basically um so I'm doing that a couple of days a week. As a matter of fact, when we're done today, I'll, I'm going to school to work with my little guys. And then I'm also working with seniors. So, um, but the thing that's really fabulous is that, I mean, I've been teaching art, you know, it's funny, I, I, I don't, I've kind of moved away from calling myself an art teacher. First of all, if, if I call myself anything, I call myself a teaching artist because I'm an artist first. And mm -hmm. the other thing though is that I've kind of moved more and more in the direction of community collaborations. And I feel like, I'm really a creativity midwife. I mean, I'm teaching sideways because we all teach each other all the time. But what yeah. I'm doing is I'm facilitating, you know, like, oh, I'll send you pictures of what the seniors are doing because the thing is, is that what I do best at this point in life is I set up situations so that the truth that creativity flows through every single one of us can be manifested. I mean, I've got a 93-year-old lady in my senior group, and I've got a three-year-old who just turned three in my school. And it's like, the stuff comes through us if, if it's set up properly. Mm. Yeah. And so um, the seniors are working on a 64-foot-long portable mural of the desert, and we're doing it in panels. So each panel is eight feet long, and it's just That's awesome. That's huge. It's oh my huge. gosh. The thing is, but what, what we did though, what I did, Brandy, is I mean, I guess I feel like this is this is the gift that I've been given. I am really good at figuring out how to break group projects into manageable little pieces that anybody can do. So in this particular case, what we did was we printed the backdrop on these eight-foot things with a sky, a mountain, and a desert area in in peach tones and then i had the participants create basically um they're not stencils they're um templates i had them draw their plants on a piece of inexpensive foam core so we just have this kind of catalog of these plants as templates so that whoever shows up can just pick up a template draw around it and paint it flat i'm having everybody just paint the templated things flat so that then the next round of people who are more competent and comfortable doing texture and pattern can layer onto this flat stuff. It's jaw dropping what they're doing. It's just, I, it's beyond wow. my wildest dreams, beyond my wildest dreams. And I hope you're taking pictures. Oh yes, lots of pictures because, and the, what I realized so recently is I should take a video. Like we're gonna start also that. Done, done four, we've got four to go. So now I've got to start taking some videos because you know what's happening is is not only are are they proving my deeply held belief that we all have it in us to do make art but also some of the ladies are coming often enough that now they're getting it down so last week we did two new ones in two hours that we had taken what? three sessions to do the other ones and i'm like 
okay then, you know? So anyway, the other thing that's really incredible about this process is most of these ladies are super creative people who have been doing stuff at home, whatever they're doing, making jewelry or crocheting or whatever they're doing. But the empowerment of this group of ladies of look what you guys are doing. I mean, last fall, we did mosaics. We did um, collaborative mosaics for the outside of the building where the senior center is. And again, I facilitate it, which means they wouldn't necessarily have the skills to figure out how to do, you know, the, the because they're huge. They're they're five, six feet tall. We did, again, we're doing garden motif, desert motif. So we did five large plants that are each about four or five feet tall. And they made all the little elements and you know made them, painted them, glued them on the mesh. And then I actually installed it. But the point of the matter is for people to step back and go, I did that. It's, you know, it's why I do it. It's very empowering. Yeah, it's very empowering. It's kind of like, ladies, you guys can do whatever you want. You just, you know, you need, you need to work together because the other piece that's really cool about doing collaborative work is people are teaching each other. I'm not, I'm not teaching. I'm basically setting it up and then standing back and facilitating. Oh, you need this color. Okay. I'll help you. Let me show you how to mix that. But then I noticed that they're all teaching each other and they're inspiring each other and doing things. Oh, I wouldn't have thought of that color. Oh, let me put this here. It's just, well, you know, it's magical. It's it magical. is. It is. It's the. It's very rewarding and very cool. And hard to say no to. I'm, I mean, basically, you're my witness, Lovey. What I'm, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to take a sabbatical in the fall. I'm going to try to tell the lady at the senior center and the the principal at the school that I'm just going to give myself six months and not teach at all and see how I do. Now, in a sense, I know how I'll do because during pandemic. Well, I did a little bit of teaching, but it was on Zoom. And I painted more during pandemic than I had my entire life because every day I would take my daughter to her day program and then come home and paint for five hours. And it's like, I want more of that. That's what I'm ready for. And, I, mm -hmm. yeah, and I'm really bad at saying no, Brandy. And also, I mean, you know, I, I know that in terms of purpose, I personally am on the planet this time around to share this gift of community-based art making. I know I am. Mm -hmm. Everything mm -hmm. that I've done in my life has brought me to the point where it's like breathing for me. I don't even have to think to do it. I'm really good at it. And it's like, well, the other thing I really want to have happen is I got to find a group of younger teachers or artists who want to do this work so I can pass on what I've learned to people. Yes, I mean, that is so yeah, important. In the Bataru, you know, I'm not going to be here. And I've learned so much and I have so much that I want to share. With you. It is a pickle. It is a pickle because um, with the projects, community-based projects we're doing, I am able to donate back money into creative trauma programming, except for that I can't teach all the programming. Like I need to find some people to teach it. I am doing these projects to inspire and and fund it and get it going because I it is so important for people to have that outlet. Right. And it is a safe space, but I can't teach it all. No, you can't. Hey, right? who's here? Hi, you. Finn, Hi. in the Spider-Man costume. I'm hungry. All right. I think it's lunchtime, but what? it was so good to... Well, yeah-ish. It's 11, but he's always hungry. Oh, no. We eat, Violet. We, we basically eat at like 7 in the morning, 11.30 in the afternoon, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. That's just what we do. And my kid's not a kid anymore. And that's the other thing we didn't touch on at all, but another time. I will have you back. I promise because this was so wonderful and it was so good to see you. And of course we'll keep in touch. I'm happy well, to chat anytime. And frankly, the Mexico trip I want to do is a family trip. I want people to bring their children. That's what I deal. Want. Double deal. I'm 1000% there with you. 
Yeah, that's what I want to do. And people have said to me, oh, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, I'm not. This is my heart's path. So, um, Brandy, the next time we do a talk, I want to talk about motherhood and making art because, you know, as, as you know, I single parent um, a profoundly disabled daughter who isn't little like Finn, but she's dependent like Finn. And so that's mm. been a huge part of the last 30 years of my life is figuring out. And I want to hear about it. Yeah. So next time. <laughs> okay. So good to see you. And we will. We'll follow up and book another day. Thank you, lovey. Thank you so much. I love you so much. Oh, I love you too. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us. I sure do appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that just as much as I did. Carolyn is a gem. I loved having her on and I'm going to see her one day in Mexico and we will channel Frida Kahlo together. Um, and I'm sure people hear that all the time about Mexico, but she is the most famous Mexican artist, which that makes sense, but I also love her. Um, so, um, and I've been painting her a lot lately, uh, and they all sell off my table, so I'm not the only one who loves her. Uh, <laughs> you can check them out in our gallery. We have prints and stuff available. I do have one original that I just finished, and, but she's like half sold, like not all the way, but like someone's like, I'm coming to look at her soon. So, um, if you like her, you better get her now. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, before June 6th. Okay, so uh, yeah, Carolyn, she's amazing. Love her. Loved her story. I loved like diving in there. Um, also, uh, keep, keep, um, I think we're starting June. We're starting off in June, the sketchbook project. Stay tuned for that in the Color Me Happy community, which is free to join. Check it out on Facebook. Uh, you can head to brandyhofer.ca if you're ever feeling lost. Everything's on there. Our artwork, our podcast, our classes, everything you need to know is on there. Soon it will be new and you'll know who our sponsors are and all our community projects and, and cool stuff like that. Um, lots of big news coming up. Um, we launch our... 3,000, almost 3,000 square foot mural in June, on June 30th, so I'm gearing up for that, um, and I'm super nervous slash excited, but not anymore, because I've done so many murals lately, I'm like, oh, taking Kevin Leto's advice, who was on the podcast, that it's really not that hard, you just start putting paint on the wall, and the rest just takes care of itself, and I'm like, okay, and now I'm like, just walking around, I'm like, yeah, that's, you just put paint on the wall. That's it. No big deal. Just 3,000 3, square feet of worth, worth, worth of paint. Oh my gosh. My throat hurts. I should go to bed. I will go to bed. But first, I really want to thank our sponsors. Uh, Nouveau Laser and Aesthetic Center. I am so grateful. Um, so recently, I tried, and this is how good a rep I am for Nouveau, um, but they'll know what you're talking about if you go get this thing product. So I was like, like nine months ago, I was like, I'm switching to all natural. And because I want to, I love all natural things. And like, uh, but I also like things that work. So this shit didn't. Um, and long story short, my like I had so much congestion in my T-zone, like, um, which I've never had in my whole entire life. But I mean, as a woman and a mother, like so much is new. You never know what you're going to get next. But like, I'm like, what is going on? So I think it was the natural product product, and 
um, it was like clogging my pores on my nose and my lips, like above my lip and all over my chin. And I was like, what the fuck? I've never had, I've had cystic acne. I've had everything, but I've never had like crazy blackheads. And this sucks because you can't get rid of them. And if you scrub them, it gets worse. This is a long skin story, but, um, so I went to Vanessa um, cause I went to get my acne scars lasered and, uh, it's called Pico. If you're wondering, <laughs> I finally can remember the name of it sometimes. Um, so she lasers my whole face and it like rejuvenates the skin and helps the scar tissue heal. I think it works. It's worked and I don't have as many scars. Um, I think it works for other things too, but that's why I go. I think it works for like fine lines and sunspots, um, if that's what you're into. I have seen a lot of sunspots disappear along with my acne scars. So um, I am trying to age gracefully for sure, and anyone can do anything they want, but I was really insecure about my acne scars. Um, so I still am. Anyway, she gave me this two-step stuff and it's like these, they're kind of like wipes and one feels really cold and then one's like soothing like aloe and you do it every second day and honestly, I have never been so in love with something on my face. It kind of, the coldness is a little uncomfortable but like it worked like it's been, I used one pack, so I guess that's like a month's worth, maybe, almost. No, it can't be, not even, like three weeks maybe. And all the congestion is gone. Um, and better than it was before. And I have had that shit for a long time. And then it got like way worse with the natural stuff. So anyway, um, self-care, so important. If it's affecting your confidence, totally worth it. Uh, and I love them clearly because I've talked about them a long time and I always do. They're the best. Um, and I also want to thank Oasis Hot Yoga and Spin Studio, um, for making me also do self-care and they have the most beautiful space. Uh, there's like lots of plants and if you want, you can get like a fancy drink, a tea or like a latte or coffee um there is it's just quiet and you unwind and it's just like there's not a lot of quiet spaces in parenthood so oh, i don't know how i got so lucky to be surrounded by these incredible women in my community but i'm grateful every day um, i'm also grateful to red bicycle communications which is our very first supporter of our podcast and partner and I'm really looking forward to um, my upcoming partnerships. Uh, the podcast is growing and our support is growing in our community and anything is possible. And um, yeah, just like never discount your amazing local community. They are the ones that believe in you. They want to see you succeed. And trust me, um, you like you when you think like it's just when you think about the you're you're always reaching for like something more something bigger but 
it's right here. You have to see what's right in front of you. And your local community is your biggest supporter. Um, and I thank you for supporting us with your time and your kind messages and your dedication and those who have read my book and reached out, taken our classes. You're just so special um, and we couldn't, you're why we do this, really. <laughs> um, it just makes it all totally, completely worth it. Uh, so you have an amazing weekend and we will chat with you soon, my friend. If you're looking for some time for yourself to relax, release and unwind, Oasis has the perfect space for you. They offer yoga and spin classes of all levels. Whether you are a beginner or advanced student, Oasis thrives on accommodating all aspects of the practice. Let their serene environment and gracious staff help you in your journey of peace, healing, and strength. Sign up online at www.oasishotyogastudio.com or by downloading the Oasis Hot Yoga Studio app. Feel like yourself. You deserve it.